Hello and welcome to the Small Talk Podcast. I'm Mike Small again today. We're talking about mortgages and financing in terms of real estate. Today we have Kurt, Lou, and Johnny here sharing what they do for their clients and how they advise them through the challenges of mortgages. So thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. So first, when would somebody need a mortgage, Kurt? Um, I know there's a couple parts to look at that. I mean, really, anytime that you're going to make a purchase of a home or property and you don't have cash, you're going to get lending from a bank or a lender. Um, and it's one of the first steps that we recommend people look into when they're interested in making a home purchase. Very true. Very true. Um, Johnny, uh, what are the most popular types of mortgages that you run into? Um, so definitely one of the most popular types is a conventional mortgage. Um, we also see, you know, FHA mortgages. We see Mishta mortgages. We see um, some construction loan mortgages, things like that. Um, and then some portfolio loan mortgages as well. But conventional is definitely the most popular. Yeah. So, Lou, you're you're the mortgage pro in the group here today. And what, what are the differences of those mortgages? <laughs> like they, they're just letters to me, but. Or not really, but probably to everybody else. <laughs> I'm sure you know quite a bit about uh, what they actually are. But yeah, so conventional loans are um, the easiest and most likely to get accepted outside of a cash offer. Sure. And uh, they have the least amount of restrictions, but are the most picky on credit scores and how much percent down and that kind of thing. Where um, once you move to like an FHA loan, they're a lot more forgiving on um, bumps in your credit and how much you need for a down payment, that kind of thing. And then there's rural development that allows for a zero down payment. Same with a veteran's loan. You don't 20% down to buy a house? You don't. You, <laughs> okay. you can do it as little as zero for a lot of different options out there. Wow. Yep. Okay. So what are some of the um, interest rates that you're seeing? Like how, how does that vary from loan to loan? Most loans are based off of where the Federal Reserve puts their interest rates. So, um, you know, there's not a huge variance between a conventional and an FHA loan. Um, it, there are bigger hits on a conventional loan if you have a poor credit score, but, you know, you got a 640 credit score on an FHA loan, you're getting premium. And most of those FHA uh, rural development, veteran, conventional, the rates are actually very, very comparable. Um, they're rarely more than a quarter percent off from each other. So I'm hearing that um, it's really good to sit down with a lender and kind of go through all the different options that you might have available to you. Holy cow, there's a lot of different <laughs> options for each each scenario. Yeah, uh, It's amazing how different things really are. And so understanding what's best for you, you know, whether that be down payment assistance, whether that be a zero down program, um, whether that be a conventional versus FHA, why does that program fit your needs better than another? Sure. So Kurt, how does a mortgage uh, rate or interest rate affect your monthly payment? Mm. Um, I, I just really appreciate the focus too, that you don't need the 20% down, that there's not just one size fits all approach sure. for all of this. And um, even just the different packages, the different loan types, I think it's super important for people to realize they are just a bunch of numbers and they all, yeah. they all do work really differently. And there might be an option for a loan you're not even aware of. Um, but to factor all that in, the lender will also have to look at your individual case, income and credit and everything else. And the current interest rates will also obviously be a factor. 
because it's not just what you pay per month. You might even personally be comfortable with saying, okay, if there is a significantly higher interest rate over the term of the loan, I'm going to pay a lot more money. And each month I'm going to pay a higher premium, but I'm okay with that. But it can also really affect what you are capable of borrowing. You might be comfortable with, hey, that's the way the market works. I'm going to spend a lot more money either way. Um, but you still have to be approved now considering that higher interest rate and the higher payment you'll make. And it might affect the budget that you're looking at for the purchase itself. Yeah, definitely. So, um, Johnny, like in today's home buying market, there's lots of craziness around interest rates. Like what are some tips that you might have for somebody shopping for a home right now and maybe possibly how to get a better interest rate? Yeah. So there's lots of things you can do. I actually was just having this conversation this morning with someone. Um, they were like, you know, is now really a good time to buy? I'm like, absolutely. Like, I honestly believe the next three months is the best time to buy because partially interest rates are a little bit higher than we've seen. I mean, they are right That's around. That's a good the, thing. That is a good thing because the competition is so much lower. Okay. So instead of paying forty, fifty thousand dollars over or having to bring ten, twenty thousand dollars out of your pocket to cover an appraisal gap, you can get things at asking or even under, get repairs done, get new roofs, things like that. You're paying a little bit of a premium for that six months until you can refinance. But if the rates go up, you're glad you bought now. And if they go down, then you refinance in six months. So as long as you're comfortable with what the payment is right now, it's the best time to buy. You can save thousands of dollars. Um, do you know of any ways that uh, home buyers are getting sellers to reduce mm -hmm. their interest rate? Yep. So um, there's so I have one client that did a two one buy down. So they were able to ask the sellers to contribute some money because the home had been on the market. They accepted our offer and they gave us some money to buy down the interest rate. And so it was a credit that the sellers gave. So my buyers didn't have to pay for it. And now they have a 2% lower interest rate the first year, a 1% lower interest rate the second year, and then they go back to whatever the market value is. Knowing that time, if the interest rates were to come down, they can always refinance as well. Sure. So sellers are giving concessions in today's market? 100%. That's crazy. Yeah. I looked a couple of weeks ago and there were maybe four homes that have been on the market over seven days under 300000 And I looked just a week ago and there were 89. Mm -hmm. wow. So we have a huge opportunity right now. That's crazy. So um, Lou, uh, when you see a pre-approval and a pre-qualification, mm -hmm. those are pretty much the same thing, right? <laughs> Uh, they're completely different. What? <laughs> yeah. So a pre-qualification is you tell a bank what you make, what you have in the bank and that kind of thing. And we're just taking your word on whether you actually make that money, whether there's red flags behind those bank statements, all sorts of stuff where a pre-approval is me verifying you work that job, you have made the amount of money that you told me you have that money in the bank account there are hidden red flags behind everything so um there's absolutely yeah and you know as a real estate agent how do you guys feel about seeing a pre-qualification letter versus a pre-approval mm -hmm. pre <clears throat> yeah if i'm shopping with somebody a i will highly recommend that they work with one of the lenders that we know personally a local mortgage specialist because um a lot of other big banks do a lot of things well, but they might not do mortgages really well. And that's key. And so if someone comes to me who has just a pre-qualification, that also means they probably aren't working with one of our recommended mortgage lenders because it is a much better practice. 
to start with that, not just for our sake, but for the buyer to know that there isn't going to be a big bump in the road later, that they can, they need to know they can count on the pre-qualification for the lender. So they know their offer can be counted on by the listing agent. If we're with buyers, we want them fully approved, fully prepared. If we're listing a home and we receive an offer with a pre-qualification rather than a pre-approval, we have to really question whether or not that offer is valid and ready to close. So those extra steps up front are totally worth it. Sure. 100%. So Johnny, sure it goes through underwriting. Mm-hmm. That's um, a big thing. Yeah. 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 So Johnny, it's, it, it's not like it was when I bought my first house where I just told the lender, <laughs> um, hey, I have this job and I make this much money. Um, is, is that your experience or how, how has it been for you with, with uh, the differences between pre-qualification and pre-approval? Yeah, absolutely. So pre-qualification is just a conversation. There's nothing to back it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when I'm running into buyers and they say, oh, yeah, I have a pre-qualification, I'm going to dig deeper and I'm going to tell them why that's so important and how when we do submit an offer and the listing agent sees a pre-approval that's been through underwriting that knows that it's going to get to the closing table, that's going to make your offer so much stronger, especially like the past couple months in competitive markets. You want to make sure you're doing everything you possibly can to make sure that makes it to the closing table and you've made every part of your offer as strong as possible. And it all starts with the pre-approval. And like Kurt said, um, you know, to follow up on that, working with a preferred lender, a local preferred lender who is in this market, knows how to get to the closing table, does it multiple times. And, you know, I always like to be able to recommend somebody who I've worked with before. So we're hearing a lot of like use a local lender and Lou, we're blessed to have you as somebody that we refer a lot of our clients to. And um, what does a mortgage lender actually do to help real estate agents win offers? Yeah, I'm blessed to be able to work with you guys. And I think there's kind of a misconception out there that I get you pre-approved for a loan amount. So let's say 300,000. I don't actually approve you for a 300,000. I approve you for a payment. And that might be around that 300,000 range, but the taxes the homeowner's insurance, the homeowner's association dues, all of that play into that payment that I actually get you pre-approved for. So they have conversations with me. Hey, what have you seen? Have you seen their pay stubs? Have you seen their W-2s? Have you seen their bank statement? Are are they actually approved? This house is very competitive. We need an appraisal gap. Can you prove and is it sure. for sure that they actually have that money in there? Um, I call the listing agents and I say, hey, I have reviewed all of these documents that's been through underwriting. This deal is going to go through. It's a solid offer. There's no reason at all you should not accept this. And so, you know, I, I've won quite a few offers based off of phone calls like that sure. that aren't even the best offer out there. It's not the highest. It's not the best. And But they know that I do a great job. They've seen that I've done the back work and they know that their client is going to actually have that money at the end of the day and not have to relist it. Yeah. So, um, Kurt, what's the difference between a good lender and a bad lender? (laughs) Um, no, I'll start too, even by saying that when you said it wasn't the best offer, like I know what you mean, but, uh, the higher priced offer isn't always the best offer. It's the one you can count on. It's the one you can trust. And even when you talked about tax tax brackets and HOA fees, the detail is so important because even if it's more important, it's easier to get your offer accepted these days, it still has to close. And if they haven't done enough of that early legwork, if they haven't done the math to account for that particular address and the taxes in that location, or if there is an HOA, HOA, 
Um, they're all just letters, right? All letters. <laughs> and if there is an HOA, then they may get that far in the process and then finally crunch the numbers enough to say, oh, this doesn't actually work. So um, first, those are good things lenders do and bad lenders don't. But a bad lender won't do all that early legwork. They won't really research it. They won't really verify and confirm everything. And so there's a buyer out there confident in their ability to win an offer and confident in their ability to make the payments when it's done when neither may be true. And they don't communicate and walk through all the steps enough and explain why. We take great pride in educating our buyers and a, and a bad lender doesn't. They just kind of put their name on things, they send in some documents, and they don't really know what's happening. So way too often, they get caught off guard. They're unprepared for the next step. They're unprepared for the next payment. They don't know the right timing for things, even just that. You know, how many times we're almost ready to close, and then we hear, oh, well, no, sorry, they have to provide a bunch of extra documents the lender is asking for, and they're asking for them at the last minute, when they could have had them a month ago, and we could have been closed this week and they don't communicate with agents on both sides. They don't communicate yeah. with their client's agent and they don't communicate with the listing agent because everyone relies on each other to make this work. Yep. And so keeping in touch, building that good relationship, staying on top of things is all super important. I think yeah. another thing I look for in a good lender is someone who doesn't work nine to five bank hours, mm -hmm. Monday through Friday. Mm -hmm. Real estate happens all the time. And it happens a lot of times after five or on yep. weekends. You know, if you have an offer deadline of 7 p.m. on a Monday, you want to know that you can call your client's lender and say, hey, can you speak on their behalf? And they're going to call and do it right then when it's important, not tomorrow, not Monday morning, you know. Um, so communication on that topic. Mm -hmm. Also communication yep. after hours. Yeah. I also think asking good questions, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of times we just make assumptions on what is best for somebody without really exploring all the different options that somebody might have. Yeah. I've heard of stories where people didn't even realize um, that the VA loan would be the best fit for them and nobody ever explained to them how that would actually work in the mm -hmm. home buying process. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, asking good questions, great communication, uh, working the hours we do, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, not just making assumptions. I think those are all really good things that lead to having a good lender that you know you work with so it's awesome so um what are some of the things that uh, go into choosing a mortgage plan so what are the mm -hmm. like main things you should look at what is the payment you're comfortable with should be the number one thing that you come to a lender with this is what i feel comfortable paying not that i feel comfortable at a two hundred thousand dollar price point like this is what i feel comfortable paying so when i'm qualifying someone i might be able to get them a lot higher or it may be less but what payment are you comfortable with every single month coming sure. out that is probably the most important thing that um people are there but then you know do they need down payment assistance. Do they need a zero down program? Do they need a three, two, one buy down where their situation currently needs a lower interest rate and life's going to get a little bit better and they might be looking to refinance and that buy down is very important and a reason that, you know, they could get that deal done. Yeah. So the buy down is also going to help with monthly payment too, right? Make 100%. it affordable. Yep. So, um, Three, two, one, buy down, Kurt. So like, what, what's the difference between a fixed rate and adjustable rate mortgage? Mm. The fixed rate is it's gonna be that same percentage through the entirety of the loan. 
and an adjustable rate can change throughout the loan. It's an adjustable rate. And I know um, <clears throat> they, even within those two, there's a lot of variety. An adjustable rate was used before in some really scary ways where people didn't know what they were getting into. And the programs that are available now, everything I'm aware of, is really the opposite. It's in a way that's very safe, it's very structured, and it's directly to benefit a buyer rather than to just get someone in a home who's not sure what they're doing. And the 321 is a great example. With more cash at close, you're actually able to put a little bit more down now uh, to basically buy into the program, but then that allows you to have a significantly lower interest rate the first year, second year, and third year. And if you run the numbers on that, which is something else that I recommend to the lenders, they won't just say, here's an option, do you like it? They'll work through that and say, if we were to use this program, if we were to use uh, this product, here's exactly what that would look like for you. But in a general sense, you can pay a lot less interest over a three-year period that will still end up with a lot more money in your pocket and give you that flexibility to take advantage of a lower rate if yeah. necessary. But you want those are the kind of things where the changes can be greatly beneficial, but you want to walk through those very clearly in practice with your own finances and your own purchase to understand what the net effect will be for you in the long term. For sure. So there, there's a lot more than just... Uh, how much I'm going to pay for the house, exactly. right? Exactly. And uh, do you provide any type of like good faith estimate or how would somebody know what they're gonna actually sign up for if they do go forward with your um, your options? Yeah, so almost every single offer that gets placed, we have a conversation ahead of time and we talk through those numbers. What does that payment look like? How high can you go on that specific property? Um, and then, I get them an estimated amount that they'll need for closing. That includes the down payment and the closing costs. I get them the estimated payment. So they have absolutely no surprises when they're working with me on, whoa, I, I didn't realize we had an extra $5,000 for title work and everything else that can go into the mortgage. So Yeah. So a lot of times we're working with somebody and they're going to have an escrow account set up, which uh, basically includes a lot of different parts. Um, explain kind of how an escrow account works for somebody when they're buying a house. Yeah, so um, the way I like to explain it to my clients is your tax, like for taxes, for instance, your taxes are due twice a year. So when you're paying into your mortgage, you're paying in just a little bit into that account every single month. Now, there may be, you know, you're only paying in four months and you need to have eight months worth to pay that bill four months into a mortgage. So they're going to hold usually six to 12 months of reserves in an escrow account. So when that bill comes up and it's more than you have, they can pay it out of that. And that will fluctuate as your mortgage goes on. Um, generally speaking, like if your taxes go up because the value goes up, sometimes that account will get used for that. Um, if your homeowner's insurance is due for an entire year, they're gonna have the money in there to pull to add to the money that you've paid in every month to be able to make that large sum payment. Yeah. So, Lou, as a lender, how do you determine uh, how do you determine how much goes into that escrow account? Like, how do you come up with that amount? Yep. So we get your homeowner's insurance quote, so we know exactly how much is going to be owed. We look into the taxes and we figure out exactly how much is owed, and it depends on what month you close. So, you know, if you're closing uh, right now, we're closing in December. We're going to have a really big tax bill due in July. So I need to collect extra money because you're only going to make a few payments before that July payment is due. 
so that I can pay that summer tax bill for you. Now, if you buy in August, that's a lot more time before that next summer tax bill is due. So I'm collecting less money for you at that point, but I collect enough ahead of time so that when that bill comes, you're, there's no surprises and there's no extra bills your way. That's one mm -hmm. of the things I love about Lou. He is 100% an under-promiser and over-deliverer. Mm -hmm. And I would much rather have that for my clients than for them to have surprises. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. There's a thing called credit score, right? How, how does that affect a mortgage? Um, how does that matter? Why does that matter? Yeah, so your credit score is one of the biggest determining factors on what loan programs you actually qualify for. Um, so that's the first step is which program do you qualify for based off of that? And then at that point, it really affects what the interest rate is. So the better your credit score, the more likely you are to get a better interest rate. And the lower your credit score, the more interest rates are based off of risk. It's more risky for the bank to give you money. So we're going to charge you more, more money in that interest rate. What would you say to somebody younger that's looking to like build their credit? Like what things could they do to prepare for the future and that it can be a little tough because you really have to use credit to get a credit score sure and um a lot of that you know has gotten a bad rap it has been used inappropriately and it can be risky but you never want to spend money you don't have period but you want to stay active in credit so you can get a credit card and just always plan this is only it's like a debit card Use it like a debit card. Yeah. So you can get a credit card, but just use it like a debit card. I have my money in the bank. I'm just going to use the credit card and then pay it off. And every month I pay it off and I never carry a balance. And different things like a car payment as well. I know some people got a 0% APR on their car payment. So, Man. right. So if you, Those were the days. So, <laughs> so if you can find a 0% APR on your car payment, then you might as well, you know, you're going to be spending that money anyway. You're not losing anything to interest, but that goes on your credit report as successfully having been used and paid. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think that a lender could probably still advise you better on that, but it is just getting active. It's getting into it, but in a very safe, reasonable way where, you know, you have the money, you're just using that as a tool to get the credit for having made the payments. Yeah, for sure. There's, there's a lot more Dave Ramsey followers mm -hmm. out there, people right. who just have absolutely no debt. And f from common sense, it yeah. means like, yeah, I, I'd be approved for a loan. And then I find out you don't have a credit score and it's the complete <laughs> opposite. You actually aren't. So, you know, it, another option for some of those people out there and particularly parents who have young adults who aren't ready for a credit card, right. add them as an authorized user mm -hmm. on your own account. And the payments you're making will start to build your children's credit scores up and put them in a really good position, mm -hmm. but not giving them the risk of, you know, paying for a taco 20 years later <laughs> without that interest. That. I absolutely yeah. love that idea of setting our children up. You know, we talk about like generational wealth, like what a great opportunity we have to have the knowledge now. Cause like mm -hmm. my parents didn't have that knowledge. They didn't set me up like that, but my kids absolutely will have that ability to have an established good credit score when the time comes. Like, yep. I mean, it's just, it's such an amazing opportunity for, for kids now, or even, you know, kids in college becoming an authorized user. Um, I think that's huge. Yeah. Cause I do 100% respect anyone who can live with no debt. I do think that's amazing. It really is. But there are so many opportunities to leverage if you have some credit and yet to really actively engage that 
without taking on a bunch of risk because it's no help at all if it's counterproductive. Correct. It yep. negatively affects you. You're yeah, not making those payments. Yep. You're late. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, Lou, isn't there a website that you can go to where you can link um, your bank account to it? And then, like, if you're only paying, like, cell phone bills or things like that, um, you can have those report on your credit score? So there's ways to contact the actual credit bureaus themselves and okay. do what's called self-reporting. And um, there are now new programs out there that take the rent that you're paying and actually count it as a on-time payment every month. So, you know, a, a lot of those people who are renting right now aren't getting the positive effects. And if they don't pay it, they, they certainly are getting the negative effects. But I don't have the website right offhand, but I would definitely do some research Research if you don't have a lot of established credit or you're making these payments on time and make sure that you're getting the positive effects of making these payments every single month. Self-reporting. I, like, I love that. I like that, that rent one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So as we wrap up, Kurt, do you have any um, advice for somebody just getting started in the journey of getting a mortgage or buying a house? I, I'll just keep coming back to talk to the right people because you can you can spend a lot of time investigating this and really trying to educate yourself. And if you don't get the right info... Again, that's another thing that can be counterproductive. There's so many flip sides to finance, and that's a really big one too. If you get the wrong advice, it's gonna be bad for you. So, you know, even I would say this, even if you're not looking at a house right now, if you talk to someone in real estate, a reputable agent, and ask for a reputable referral, because I know we are happy to have those conversations with people, and we know that Lou and other people are too. They want you educated, they want you equipped. So they can speak more specifically into your situation. But in addition to that, plan on making a move like this with some savings, plan on making a move like this with some backups and work within your means. You know, if your first house is not your only house ever, if it's not your dream home, where you will be having a purchased a house now in relatively any economy, in relatively any real yep. estate market, buying a house now and making those payments where you will be in five years will be a drastic change. It'll be a huge step up. So do what you can when you can and try to make the best moves possible. So you're selling, saying that you could sell that house and then have yeah. this huge chunk of equity to then put towards what might be your dream home. So and you your might credit. Be, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And your credit. Like you'll be in a, in a much better position if you just, if it's, if it's a first home and it's a struggle to get started, it'll still really be worth it. Yep. Yeah. You got any uh, tips for the person just getting started, Lou? Talking to the right person is definitely the right thing, but I guess I, I can't express enough to the people who are on the fringe and not sure if they can buy how now is their opportunity. Just because when these interest rates drop, there's going to be such a flood of competition. And if you need a seller to pay towards your closing costs, if you don't have money to guarantee an appraisal and pay over what a house is worth, you're just not gonna be able to compete. If you can't get the best loan program, you're just not gonna get that offer accepted. And right now, the buyer demand is as low as it's been in years and your opportunity to buy a house is right now. So, you know, for those people who don't have the best credit, don't have the most money, try to find a way to buy now and don't wait for those interest rates to drop because it, it, you may be approved at that point, you may be approved for a little bit more, but you're not gonna get an accepted offer. It's gonna be a bad experience on your behalf. Great advice. What about you, Johnny? Well, I agree with both of you. 
Um, so definitely who you work with matters. Um, <laughs> talking to the right people, um, making sure that you're in good hands and you have somebody who's going to work for you. Like partnering with a good agent and a good lender is huge. And I would also suggest people get so nervous that, oh, if I reach out to somebody, they're going to make me buy a house. They're going to make me pull my credit. They're going to do what we're not like. We just want to educate you. We want to help you start early plan. It takes time. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, the path to homeownership. It's not called the hop, skip and a jump. It's the path. Like call somebody, talk to them, set up that path figure out what it's going to take because there may be little bridges that you have to go through. Mm -hmm. And if you don't start now, you won't know and you might not ever get there. So, and like Lou said, now is absolutely the best time. The next three months is the best time to buy. If you wait, you will regret it. And I just, I don't want that for anybody. And I feel like there's such an amazing opportunity for first time home buyers right now. People who maybe don't have down payment, people who need the seller concessions to help buy down their interest rate or things like that. Like it's just, it's a huge opportunity. So Definitely call somebody, ask the questions, have the conversations, and no one's going to force you to run your credit or buy a home. <laughs> sure. I got a call yesterday from someone I met uh, almost two years ago. And we went, we saw some houses, we had all these conversations, and they said, we're just, we're not ready. You know, we've got to get in a better position. We'll be more prepared. And now we're going to start shopping in January because we had those conversations a long time ago, yep. and now they're way more comfortable and way more ready when the time is right. Yeah, really all does start with a conversation. Thank you for joining us today on the Small Talk Podcast. I hope you gained some valuable insight from Johnny, Kurt, and Lou. If you have any questions about mortgages or the real estate market, please reach out to one of us or reach out to Lou Marotti at First Community Mortgage. And uh, don't miss our next episode. Have a great week. Nailed it.